Welcome to each of you as you've come to worship our Lord this morning. Glad to have folks visiting with us. Always good to have that good experience. And um, we do hope you'll come back to worship with us on many future occasions. We are winding down on summer. It doesn't feel like it, I realize. Um, but the last wonderful Wednesday for children is this coming uh, Wednesday. I believe they're going to uh, meet at the church and then go to Greer City Park. Uh, please register either online or there's a tear out right here or talk with uh, Katie if you're planning to be here for the last wonderful Wednesday. We also are at the deadline um, for applying to be in the elementary music camp. Uh, information about that is in your bulletin. Um, the 2nd through the 5th of, of August. And um, uh, Jessica really needs, needs to know if you're planning to be in that uh, Down by the Creek Bank musical uh, production. So see her a little bit later on today. Our youth will be returning from their uh, week-long mission trip in Montana. They fly in tomorrow night into uh, Charlotte, I believe it is. And uh, so we'll be back home. I know that uh, in some of your homes it's been mighty quiet for a week. And that's about to change as the teenagers return home. It's always a joy to represent you and visit various places. I this week went to visit one of our retirement centers and I was sitting at four o'clock in the afternoon in the sun rocking in a rocking chair with these delightful ladies who were looking for a blanket to cover up with while they were. There's some good things about getting older. I'm looking forward to not being, uh, not noticing the heat. But anyway, I could tell it was a diverse group uh, of church folks and so I I made the statement that it was so hot and dry that it was really affecting our churches that the Baptist churches had, had stopped baptizing and had gone to sprinkling and that the Methodist churches had had to use a wet washcloth and that the Presbyterians were issuing a, a rain check, you know, for <laughs> baptism. Well, our church member said to this lady who was sitting between us, who I thought was asleep rocking in her chair, <laughs> She says, uh, Sadie, did you hear what my preacher said? And she said, no, I don't listen to fools or idiots. <laughs> I'm not sure which I was, but I just want you to know how I'm representing you in the community. <laughs> oh, but Let us worship God together.
affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed on page 881. Let us unite in this historic confession of the faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Receive it, please. And this time we invite the children to come forward to join Mary Lee for a few moments of sharing. Good morning. Isn't this a beautiful sight? Beautiful. I love seeing all these children up here. Um, today we're going to talk about something that's going to seem like we're not starting out talking about what we would normally talk about. But I have a bottle of these. What are these? Gummies. Well, yes, they are gummies. Thank you. <laughs> they are vitamins. And I have these. What are these? Weights. Okay, what would I use these things right here for? What would I, why would I keep my body healthy, strong, use these for exercise, says my body would be strong? Okay, let me ask you a question. Would the donut that I caught Preacher Arthur eating this morning before church, would that sort of fit in this little group right here? No. No. Um, I told him he couldn't eat that during our children's sermon because it didn't fit at all. But these help to keep our body strong, right? Okay. So we're going to talk about keeping something else strong. We're going to talk about keeping our faith strong. And when I talk about our faith, I'm talking about our faith in God. Okay? Um, we come to church because God told us in the Bible to come to church, right? I mean, it's one of the commandments. He didn't say do it if you feel like it, right? Did he say if you want to do it, if you're in the mood to do it? He said do it. Correct? Yeah, if you're sick, you know, or if you're visiting granny somewhere else, he knows you can't be here. But he expects you to be here when you can be here, right? Okay. Well, I believe that he has lots of reasons for that. And one reason is he wants us to learn about him, right? And about his son. Okay. Also, I believe, and I remember Preacher Arthur saying this, and it, I have remembered it ever since he said it. He may not even remember saying it, but I remember him saying it. He said when he was a little boy, his parents were trying to explain to him why he had to come to church every Sunday. And he said somebody told him 
Think about all the time you have all week long. You know, you have time to go to school and play and be outside and be with your friends. And this little bit of time you come to church on Sunday morning is your way of paying God back, of saying thank you for everything else he has given us. Okay, so I believe we come to learn about God and his son, and we come to show respect to God for everything he's given us. But I believe there's another reason. I believe he wants us to come to church regularly because it makes us stronger Christians. It helps us get through our week and be stronger Christians so that when things come along that may tempt us to do the wrong thing. Have you ever had a friend at school try to get you to do the wrong thing? Not many of you. Well, boy, are you lucky. Wow. Okay. Well, you know what? Unfortunately, it is going to start happening. The older you get, you're going to come across friends who try to talk you into doing the wrong thing. And when we are strong in our faith and we know God personally and we know what he wants us to do, it's a whole lot easier to say, no, I'm not going to do that. God does not want me to do that. So I believe that he wants us to come to church regularly so that we can be stronger Christians. It helps us get through our week doing the right thing. And there's this television show that I love to watch. I watch it all the time. And in this tel- on this television show, it makes me laugh every time I watch it. That's why I love it. And on this show, there's a family, a husband and a wife and three children. And the wife and the children go to church every Sunday. But the husband doesn't go very often. And they're all trying to talk him into going. You need to go to church. And he says, well, tell me, why do you go to church every Sunday? And the wife looks at him and she says, well... I go to church every Sunday to thank God for all that he has given me, to thank him for giving me you and the kids. And then she stops and she thinks, and she says, but I also go to church every Sunday so that I have the strength to get through the week with you and the kids. Okay? And I know it was funny. It made me laugh when she said it, but it's true. Coming to church every Sunday gives us the strength to get through the week being a good Christian. Because being around people that are other Christians makes us stronger Christians. Okay? All right. So I want you to bow your heads and I want you to listen to my prayer, okay? Dear Lord, thank you for this glorious day that you have given us and this opportunity to come to church and to learn about you and to learn about your son and to become stronger Christians so that when we go through our week, we can make good choices. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson is uh, Hosea 1, 2 through 10. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, 
Go take for yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's uh, bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses or horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After she had weaned Lorohema, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Loami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand of the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You're not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited and they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Here ends the lesson. At this time we are privileged to share in a moment of baptism for Kale wanted to make sure I didn't get my Kales and my Kyles mixed up. Kale, McCaslin, David, son of Kyle and Cindy Davis, and we invite them to come along with any of the family that would like to stand with us as we celebrate the sacrament of holy baptism.
Our epistle reading is from Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 19. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity continues to live in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in, in baptism and raised with him through your faith and power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with him. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connections with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Here ends the lesson. Jesus, say, behold, I 
let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, it is our custom to close our eyes as we talk with you. I guess to remind us that you live in a place we can't readily see, and yet which is very real. And it is a reminder to us that there is an entire world out there, your heavenly home that is beyond the ability of our comprehension with our eyes or ears or anything else. <clears throat> but prayer is a wonderful way, O oh Lord, to call us away from the world in which we live, to bring us into your world where we might bask in your presence and be strengthened by your presence every time we pray. We're thankful that Jesus gave us a model for prayer and that he himself is one who spent a great deal of time alone in prayer, drawing strength from you. And Lord, if Jesus needed that much prayer, certainly we do too. Forgive us when we've tried to make it through life on our own strength when you have availed yourself to us in prayer and by your spirit to strengthen us and to be present with us. For you haven't told us that we have to make it through this life on our own strength. You have said you would always be with us. So we're thankful for these moments during this service of prayer <clears throat> that remind us that there are many other times and occasions that we can draw ourselves apart from others to spend time in meditation, to spend time thanking you for your goodness, and spend time with you talking about the things that concern us the most. We are thankful, Lord, that you call us to be your servants, and so it is natural that we would employ prayer to help us to have strength to live for you and to be your servants. We look around us at a world that continues to live and grow out of control, and we remember that Jesus pronounced the coming of your kingdom and worked for that and prayed for that every day. Help us, Lord, to draw our strength and prayer from you, that we might be those servants of the kingdom that are at work every day to bring your kingdom a bit closer to reality here on earth. Lord, there are many of our friends who need your sustaining grace and strength in these days. There are some of our friends who are living with very difficult illnesses and have been told that they will be living with those conditions for the rest of their lives. We pray your strengthening presence to be with these. We pray, O oh Lord, that in those cases where they are called to bear this cross, you would give them strength 
And in other cases, Lord, we pray that you would remove the illness from them and make them well. These things we pray in the name of Jesus, who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
Our gospel lesson is Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine has, uh, on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is a friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those? who ask him. Here ends the lesson. I sometimes get amused at myself as well as at you as we are telling our stories of how we made it through a difficult time. We talk about all the things we tried, the research that we did, the people we asked for help, and then we say, when all else failed, I said a prayer. At the very end, we get around to an activity that should have been our very first action, turning to God in prayer. Apparently, this was the flow of events for the disciples as well. According to Luke, it was pretty late in the game when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. This was after many miracles after many great parables, after the disciples had been with Jesus long enough to have have figured it out that you are the Christ. Jesus had even begun his final journey toward Jerusalem when the disciples finally got around to asking him about prayer. I guess that underscores the fact that for Jesus, prayer was most of the time a very private thing. He actually, on several occasions, spoke out in opposition to public prayers because, he said, some people pray in order to be heard and seen by other people rather than to speak to God. Go into your closet, Jesus said, and pray to God there in secret. Then God, who hears your prayers in secret, will reward you openly. My cousin recently told me, 
that his daughter was saying grace at the evening meal when she left out a line in that wonderful prayer, God is great, God is good. She left one of the lines out and he corrected her and she looked at her father and said, I wasn't talking to you. Well, prayer for Jesus was not talking to other people to be heard, but talking with God and communing with God. The disciples would see Jesus go off by himself for prayer. And he would go off many times tired and discouraged. And he would come back energized, rested, and strengthened. Teach us to do that, they said. Not only is it interesting to me that this lesson in prayer came rather late in Jesus' ministry, it's also interesting to me how the disciples framed uh, this question to Jesus or this request. Lord, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples to pray. I don't know why that half of the sentence was thrown in. It reminded me of the child who says, Mama, please let me go to the movie. Susie's mother's letting her go. It's almost as if the disciples felt like they needed to coax Jesus or something. Interesting idea anyway. But what they really wanted was some prayer that they could recite. Uh, a now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer. And what Jesus gave them has served as the model for Christian prayer for 20 centuries. And its simplicity stands in stark contrast to those whose prayers are so long and flowery that even the angels must get weary in listening. I will never forget when I moved to Saluda, South Carolina, and the, the men's clubs would get together for the, from the eight or nine churches around that area. And one cold February day, I backed up to a fire to get warm, and they turned to one of my colleagues that we, we lovingly call Big John, and we asked him to pray for the meal. Well, Big John's prayers were longer than most of our sermons. And when he finally got through blessing every tree and shrub in the county, the food was cold and I was burnt to a crisp. <laughs> Jesus' model prayer would have not taken that long, maybe 15 seconds at most. But what it lacks in its length, it more than makes up for in the depth of what you find there when you look at the various parts. Father, that was Jesus' favorite name for God. It implies a relationship with the deity, one that is based upon trust in God's motivations and attitudes. Haven't you ever noticed the way a child's eyes will light up when maybe they've been left in the nursery and mom and dad come back to pick them up and, and as a moment of joy and excitement, their eyes light up that's my daddy, and there's no have to about it. It's a want to, to be with their parents. If that's the case, I wonder why it is that you and I approach religion in general and prayer specifically as if it was something we had to do. It's a load we must bear. Oh, Jesus said, that's my daddy. Prayer is being with daddy. Long after I am dead and gone, and I still hope that's a rather long time from now, 
But I hope that the churches in South Carolina that have had to put up with me as their pastor will remember that once upon a time they had a crazy preacher who spoke about faith not as some obligation that we owe to God, but as a relationship with God that we were supposed to enjoy. Our lives should, our eyes should light up with joy when we find ourselves together in God's presence. It is one of the great joys of life. It's all about being with Daddy. If God is my Father, then I know I can always count on Him to be interested in my interests and concerns. Hallowed be thy name, Jesus said. May your name be respected and held in high honor. Not only does it imply that we have respect for God, but it implies that we want others to have that respect for God. That should have some impact upon me in determining how I'm going to live my life, that I will deal with others with integrity and honesty, and that I don't misuse God's name. And, you know, we don't just misuse God's name when we curse. We misuse his name if we're just too casual about tossing it around or, or when we credit God as the reason why we do some things that might be harmful to some other person. A lot of hate is done in our world in the name of God. The holy pe people of ancient Israel were careful not to be too casual in their use of God's name, exercising great care not to use God's name frivolously in daily conversations. Father, may we not dishonor your good name. And may your kingdom come. In Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, he adds a line to explain what that means. It is wherever God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Someone has said that the, the hope that Jesus uh, expressed when he said, your kingdom, may your kingdom come, is like the hope of a farmer who looked out upon a desert wasteland and said, I can't wait to see this place when it becomes a beautiful garden. It looks so hopeless sometimes. It looks hopeless to us as much now in our world today as it must have looked when Jesus first uttered those words. But Jesus still woke up every day determined to pray and to work to bring about God's kingdom on earth. Every day he did that, and so we must also. It is a kingdom which will be produced by our loving actions and not by force, which will not have human structures to prop it up, Therefore, it can exist across uh, geographical and nat national borders. Indeed, Lord, may your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Well, I think we all know that we're expected to work some to keep a roof over our heads and food on our tables. But at the same time, we must be aware that our work would be in vain if God is not our partner in all of our enterprises, helping us to find what we need. Our earliest ancestors were hunter-gatherers, people who hunted wild animals and gathered fruit and vegetables that grew wild. 
Their lives were difficult because they had to be on the move, migrating with the herds of animals. But they knew that their part was to hunt and pick. God's part was to provide. And so when you and I pray for our daily bread, we know that that doesn't mean that we're sitting back and calling on God for room service. It is an expression that we know that we are to live in a cooperative harmony with God and his creation. Therefore, we all work like it depends upon us, but we pray and trust as if it all depends upon God. Someone has also said that this line in the prayer is asking God to supply us just with our daily needs and to help us to be satisfied with that, not feeling the need to take more than we need and to stockpile for the future. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. We all want forgiveness, but we just aren't very good at forgiving each other, are we? You see, the fact of the matter is, before I forgive my enemies, I'd like to see them squirm just a little bit, to suffer just a little bit, to be seen by others around me that they are the skunks that I've said they are, and then I'll forgive them. But at the same time, I just, not, I just assume you not know that I can be the skunk that I can be sometimes. When I sin, I want a cover-up, which is exactly what was offered in the temple by the priest. Propitiation, a covering of sin. Jesus, though tied together our own need of God's forgiveness with our neighbor's need for our forgiveness in such a way as to imply that we shouldn't expect to receive anything from God that we're not willing to extend to our neighbors. It is as if Jesus was saying to us that every time we pause to ask God for forgiveness, we ought to stop and say, and who is it that I need to forgive today? It's also been suggested that we're actually praying, God, please forgive me in the same measure that I'm willing to forgive others. Well, I know the measure that I need forgiveness from God. Am I willing to give that to others? And lead us not into temptation. As one of my professors used to say, lead us not into temptation. We can find that all by ourselves. That line in the great prayer actually means, when temptation comes along, Lord, lead me out of it. Save me from it. Don't let me yield to it. <clears throat> the message paraphrase of the Bible beautifully translates the Lord's Prayer in this very simple way. Father, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. After giving the disciples this model prayer, which the church has flowered up a little bit, Jesus concluded this teaching on prayer with two parables and some instructions. The first parable, we need to be very careful that we interpret as a parable and not as an allegory. 
An allegory is where everything in it has meaning, but a parable, you just look for one simple meaning. It's the story about uh, the man knocking on the door at midnight and the man saying, uh, I'm already in bed with my children. Don't you know that was a crowded bed? I'm already in bed with my children. I can't get up and give you anything. Uh, that kind of paints a bad picture of God if you, if you force that. But that wasn't what Jesus was trying to teach us at all. He was simply teaching us that we shouldn't give up that easily when we don't get an answer to our prayers the first time we knock on God's door. Be persistent, Jesus was saying. If you keep on knocking on your friend's door, he will eventually either give you the bread that you've asked for or else he'll resign himself to the fact that he won't get any more sleep that night. Be persistent. Reverend Stephanie Fry, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Minnesota, um, Spring Grove, Minnesota, says, I can think of no one other than Jesus who actually encourages us to be annoying with God. Jesus invites, even commands us to be as shameless and irritating in our prayers as that noisy neighbor at midnight. We should persist until prayer becomes an ongoing conversation between us and God. Then we will never come away empty-handed from prayer because even if we wind up with none of the things we thought we needed, we will always wind up with God listening, attending, and answering our prayers in ways we hadn't imagined. We are commanded to ask and keep asking, to seek, to knock, and keep knocking. Then we will receive, find, and gain open doors. The final parable is in the form of a joke. If your son asks you for a fish, will you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks you for an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion, a spider? No. You parents, even the most evil among you, you wouldn't do something like that? You would really only give good gifts to your children? Really? Well then, what do you think your always good and kind Heavenly Father will give you when you ask things of Him? He will even give you a full dose of His own Holy Spirit if you ask Him. And like the best of human parents, God will always love His children. Amen. Amen. <laughs>